Titus chapter 2 is Paul writing, and it's a great reminder for every family and every single and every church. As for you, he starts out, as for you, you guys, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So here's a, a boring idea, sound doctrine, until you realize what it is. It is what God has taught us. Teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. And then he goes through various groups in the church. He includes all of you. In verse 10, he includes not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Here's the challenge for every age. So that in everything, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Make beautiful what is true, the doctrine of God our Savior. That's a staggering responsibility. You make it beautiful or you make it ugly. So let's look at that. This doctrine of his, and that what he's going to say is that we make it beautiful. And I go to, I respond to that by saying, huh? I make the doctrine of God beautiful? Like, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How in the world do I make that beautiful? Or love your neighbor? Or forgive each other? The doctrines of God, our Savior, are huge. You're aware of that. He said, for instance, in the Bible, that the earth has a circle, the circle of the earth, long before they discovered it was not flat. The doctrine of God our Savior includes teaching us that man is a spiritual being, long before people discovered that we are different from animals. The doctrine of God our Savior talked about being unselfish, kids, unselfish, way before our parents thought it would be a good idea. The doctrine of God our Savior. So what he says, first of all, is that we must honor him as Lord of the universe, creator of all that is. Do you believe that? And that he's given us in his word, the written word, Old and New Testaments, True doctrine, truth for our living. And then, so what Paul says to Titus and what he says to all of us, Forest Hills and me, teach the truth. But as for you, verse 1, as for you, teach what is in accord with sound doctrine, solid doctrine. Teach what is true to your kids in your home and in the church, and downstairs right now, everywhere in the building. Teach what is healthy, or sound, or strong. Do you do that? As a father and a mother, as a friend, do you teach? I've been pastoring 55 years. I coach pastors now, the last 13. And in two churches, and now coaching, I see a lot of sermons, but especially now I see three to five a week. I wish that would make me spiritual. Sometimes it puts me to sleep. 
Sometimes I say, where did you get that? You said this, where did you get that? Which is a good question for every sermon. Teach what is in accord with sound doctrine, and it's a huge need in the church. Our view of Scripture, are you in on this? Is that we believe every word was given by God in a miracle of inspiration. Whoa! Now we're to teach that and teach what is true. I won't read the verses right now, but in the what are called the pastoral letters about church and pastoring, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, five or six times he says, preach the word. Tell what God has said in the Bible. When you give your opinion about politics or abortion, you ought to quote the scriptures. Teach the word. So what he says is, teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. And he calls it, clearly, sound doctrine, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And he calls it later, the doctrine of God. In the last verse, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. It's His. He breathed it out. He spoke it to the people. Somehow, uh, by the miracle of inspiration, He moved people along as they wrote the Scriptures. It's His. It doesn't mean it's about Him. It means He owns it. You guys, it's His breath, Spurgeon said. It's it's very much a part of him when he tells us to love each other or to obey each other it's very much who God is it's the doctrine of God our Savior and what he's telling us is to live it out teach it and uh, he's going to show us that it's exactly the kind that you have here I used to get asked a lot as a pastor. I don't ever get asked anymore uh, about inspiration and how it relates to the Scriptures. Whatever you have in your hands as the Bible, you can trust it. It's done very carefully, the translations. But it's the doctrine, it's the possession of God. It's what he would say if he were your mother or your father at home. It's the clear teaching. So this is what we're to teach. If you teach Sunday school and one of us listened, we would have every right and responsibility to say, where did you get that? Okay, that's the easy one in some ways. Teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Not by the way, but incidentally, there you have at the center of your room the cross, a symbol of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about sound doctrine, ask a neighbor what they think that means. Ask yourself sometimes or explain in two minutes why Jesus died on the cross. In a Gallup poll just two summers ago, New York City, people were asked, one of the ten questions was, number six, do you think you will go to heaven when you die? Of all those that answered yes, When asked the next question, on what basis will you go to heaven, 75% said by keeping the Ten Commandments. 
Hello, no one has ever kept the Ten Commandments. I think they made it up on the spot just because they were pressed. I don't think they went to bed at night and thought, I've kept the Ten Commandments today. Sound doctrine means, why did Jesus die? You know this. Sound doctrine says that he took all your sins when he died on the cross. Do you believe that? When he cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because all of Newt Larson's sins and yours were being judged. And when I put my faith in him as Savior, Son of God, my Savior, that counts for me. My judgment is done. Don't you ever say, I guess I'm being judged for my sins. Nonsense. Jesus was punished for your sins. And what's more, that gets you from minus two million to zero. Nobody goes to heaven with a zero. When you put your faith in Christ, this is sound doctrine, God made him to be sin for us. He didn't know any sin. So that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. God attaches the righteousness of Jesus Christ to your name when you believe in him. Whoa! So your sins are judged. Your righteousness is a gift. You could never earn it on yourself. That's sound doctrine about the cross. Do you believe that? Do you rest in Jesus Christ, judgment secured, righteousness a gift, then live in combination with Christ? If that's you, you'll hear yourself in the next verses. Because now he goes through the different groups in the church. I taught Craig how to drive. First time he went out alone. I gave up on Craig. I went fishing with John Marco. And I said, well, you put the boat in the lake and I'll get the permit and we'll do it that way. It didn't work. Sound doctrine. Let's talk about it. The cross first. But then how you live. Last week, Craig gave a great picture of Thanksgiving. I appreciated that we traded Sundays. I had to be at a church I was coaching and a special meeting. Great job of a woman who gave thanks because she understood her sins were forgiven and the Savior loved her. So we start there at the cross. Is that you? You're there. Let's say you're there. If not, be sure to come there by faith in Christ. Then he goes through and names various groups. Here we go. I'm going to go quickly and get a main point for each. Verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Something consistent about older men. I will tell you today where older starts for men and women. You need to take notes. For older men, I'm not sure. I know I'm one of them. And they're clearly to be dignified and 
be careful with their lives. Obviously, there are physical and mental issues that aren't the issue here. As you choose, you should be these things if you're over a certain number. Maybe in today's world it's 50 or 60. But he says, clearly, serious-minded, dignified, self-controlled, strong, or here's the same word, sound in faith and in love, and be faithful until you die. Is that you, men? That's how you give beauty to the doctrine. Now, how about older women? And I do know when you become old as a woman. Ninety-six. Clearly, it's somewhere in the Bible, I think. Verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So older women, he, he implies here that sometimes they will talk too much of older men, that they will act selfishly or promiscuously. And in both cases, he says, when they have sound doctrine, they change. I grew up in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and my parents divorced when they were, when I was in grade three. Gene Miller was an older man in our church who grabbed me by the shoulder and loved me. I didn't understand a father and mother love in, un- in unity, as many of you do for children, and it's so good to see here. Gene Miller was an older man who lived these verses and cared. Older women, my grandmother raised us, our grandmother. She had a fourth grade education, taught three Bible classes every week, crossed racial and poverty lines in Harrisburg before it was written about, and modeled what it means to show love. I know, and you know, what older people can mean to a church and to a grandchild or to a neighbor. So he tells every group how to clearly show the love of Christ. Younger women, they come up under the issue of older women in one sense. It says, verse 3, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled. That shows up with all these ages by reading other verses. Pure, working at home, they have a special, at least, responsibility at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God be not reviled. So younger women need to show the word of God in their spirit as they receive the love of Christ from their husband, whoa, and honor that in a spiritual discipline of submission in terms of growing in Christ. Is that you? That, that is 
called nonsense today on television or on panel shows. But clearly there has to be guidance in a home and organization. He immediately switches to all of those of you who are under 50 or somewhere as a young man. And it says, for them, likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Take charge of your anger. Take charge of your flesh or your lust. You are responsible. I am responsible for everything I do. Now, Titus was young in Paul's mind and in ours, and so all the things for Titus apply to him also, apply to you as a younger man. But clearly, for young men to sum it up in a day of television and ads that take you everywhere, including the bedroom, he says, be self-controlled. Guard your heart and be in charge of everything you do and think it through. Kids, this would be you if you're a boy. You be self-controlled. You are responsible. Sound doctrine shows up this way. Do you want this for your life? Now he goes to Titus next, and and, uh, for Titus he gives very clear teaching. I think it applies also to all young men. Verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Whoa. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. There's the word again, sound speech, that cannot be condemned. Be careful how you talk. So that an opponent may be put to shame, have nothing evil to say about us. Thank you, men. Thank you, fathers. Thank you, singles, who model what it means to be a young man following Jesus Christ, self-controlled like Titus was, and clearly a way to live. Is this the way you've... I don't think you would be at church on this morning if it wasn't a way you want to choose. So it means to live in combination with Christ. Don't try it on your own. Live this way, all your sins judged, all your righteousness given. That's the way God sees you. Now live that way, choosing to obey Christ. This is all a very clear pattern for our living today. Are you in on this? Is this what you want with your life? Not just for when you stand in front of Christ, but when you stand in front of your friends or your family. Now he picks up servants because there were so many. And this is a delicate subject. I don't think any of us think slavery is a good thing. Servants in those days were often members of the family. So Paul doesn't say do away with them, but look what he says, nine. Servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. We always apply these to jobs too. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, huh? not pilfering, that means stealing, kids. Don't take stuff home. 
but showing all good faith, and here's the phrase I want to major on, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. They may make it beautiful. One time we took our staff on a rapids trip, a raft trip down violent rapids, rapids at the New River in West Virginia. I was senior pastor, but the guy in charge of the trip was Doug, and we took our husbands or wives, uh, the directors and the pastors, and there was a big bunch of us, and the guy in charge of the raft trip, the chief guide, gave what he calls a death speech for about eight minutes, ten minutes, before we went on the raft. He said the river is up to nine and a half feet above the level, and at ten feet we cancel. So it's very dangerous, he said. And he went on for ten minutes, and by the time he was done about death and these uh, holes in the river. They're called, I forget what they're called, but uh, you can fall into those and die. And by the time he was done, many of us were crying, holding our wife's hands. It was scary, serious. When he was done with his speech, I went over to him. Nobody on staff knew this. And I said, we're canceling the trip. He said, who are you? I said, well, I'm the senior pastor. We're canceling the trip. I'm not going to have somebody from our staff dying. He said to me, we'll be fine. I have to give that speech for two reasons. One, insurance. They tell me I must give that speech. And two, nobody will obey the guide in their little raft unless you give that speech unless they know how serious it is. From that day on, when we started a church service, I gave a death speech <laughs> at the beginning. It was just four minutes. I said, if you don't listen to this stuff, you will die. <laughs> no, I wanted to, though. I, I didn't. But that was a true story. We went ahead with the trip. It was dangerous, and it, we obeyed the guides in our rafts. I say that to smile, but also to say to me and to you, this is life and death. To obey the scriptures, you see it in our country, you see it in Washington, you see it everywhere. We're headed into rapids. We've already lost a lot of people. The issue is so serious Obey and teach sound doctrine, and it's what we're to live by for all of us. Jesus, by the way, was a carpenter, maybe for up to 30 years or 20. All we know is all of life is sacred when you honor Christ, when you do what's right. And clearly, he fulfilled this obey sound doctrine in the carpenter shop. He says in verse 10, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What does that mean? 
It means that as you live, as you love, as you, as an older man or younger man, older woman, younger woman, teenager, as you do what's right and obey what's taught you in the Scriptures, people think well of God. They say that works. It would be an embarrassment to an artist if you walked into a room of all his paintings and never said, whoa, that's gorgeous. It's demeaning to God when we look at his creation, even snow and babies and children and life, and no one says, look what God has done. We live not far from Lake Michigan, and one time we went down at, I think it was 8.18. They told us exactly when the sunset would be. How do they know that? They study what God set up. At 8.18, sure enough, the sun was setting, and it was gorgeous. Everybody's got their cameras out. They're called phones, and they're taking pictures. As we went up, I wasn't trying to be smart. I didn't know what to say, and I saw 10 people standing there on the deck, and I said, do you know who designed that? Who set that up? Nobody answered. Maybe it was an embarrassing question. I don't know, but God, when you see a new baby or you have a new adoption or you give birth, or you see a sunset, somewhere we ought to say, Whoa, God! Amazing! But also in this text, when you obey God and love your parents and do what's right and live in combination, people can see what God teaches is gorgeous. We wish we could tell everybody in Washington there's a way to compromise and love each other and still differ. We wish we could tell people who are surely off balance in some of these murders and awful things that have happened. There's a way to live life that makes God's truth gorgeous. When you love each other, when you forgive each other, The beauty of the gospel is not just that we go to heaven. It's that we understand how much God loves us and how much he cares and would like to be with us forever and ever. Trillions of years we'll be with him as new creation. And you make that beautiful when you live with that hope. And you talk about it sometimes. You make the doctrine of 1 Corinthians 13, the famous chapter on love. Okay, it was nice at our wedding. It was beautiful and it's great prose. But you make it gorgeous when you love each other in marriage or in a family or in a church. Many of the problems I get into as a church coach are to help a church work through disasters and wars and rumors of wars among the people of the church. And I often point to this scripture and say, 
where's the beauty of the gospel? You make it gorgeous when you love one another, when you honor each other in Christ our Lord. Is that you? Older men, younger men, whatever age, woman, girls? Otherwise, doctrine is like a recipe that's never cooked. Plans for a house that's never built. A playbook for a game that's never played. It's just so much paper. But when we obey it and teach it and live it, people say, like Jesus said once, look how they love each other. Look how they treat each other. And it's made gorgeous. How many friends of yours, as well as me, have said, if that's a Christian, I don't want any part of it? I looked at my grandmother's life when my parents walked away from each other, and I thought, even as a child, that's the way to live. It makes it gorgeous, it makes it beautiful. And when a church like yours bands together and loves each other and reaches out to others in the name of Christ, the Savior by the cross and by his resurrection, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous how families can love each other and accept each other. God gave all this teaching so that individuals and families and churches and missions all over the world, why Phil and Susie translate this, so that people would understand it, but then live it. And it becomes gorgeous. They no longer knife each other verbally or in some places with a sword. They love each other. Is that you? George Moore wrote a number of novels, and one of them, I just picked up the paragraph once reading a chapter. He talks about a group of men, young men, in Ireland who are building a road, and I quote, they sang lustily as they built, meaning loudly and with joy. They're building a road. They love their work. And they're building a road. And then they found out the road wasn't going anywhere. It was just a gift from the government, this job. And Moore's insightful statement, when the men found that out, found that out, quotes, they stopped singing as they built. The roads to nowhere are difficult to build. End of quote. That's exactly right for America right now. If you're not going anywhere and you don't know the direction of your life or why you're going there, it's difficult to build it. So there's a lot of frustration, a lot of drugs, and a lot of fighting. But when you know where you're going 
and you have embraced the beauty of the doctrine of God, that we are His creatures made in His image, spiritual people who can love each other and follow Him, you sing joyfully. And Moore's final statement was, the roads to nowhere are difficult to build. And I add, and the church has the answer for how to build your life through Jesus Christ. Make it beautiful. Let's pray.